Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. With the release of two new feature films in less than a year, Chelsea Stardust has been on fire. Chelsea is the director of two new fantastic horror features, Fangoria's Satanic Panic and Blumhouse's All That We Destroy. I got to see Satanic Panic at the Overlook Film Festival, and it was awesome. Chelsea began her career working for Ivan Reitman before moving on to Blumhouse, where she was a personal assistant to Jason Blum for years. During this time, she learned an incredible amount about the business of horror. Chelsea and I got to chat about her career history and what she's learned from working with industry greats like Ivan Reitman, Dallas Sonier, and Jason Blum. We also chatted extensively about Satanic Panic and what she has in store next. Now, without further ado, here's the wonderful Chelsea Stardust. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Really well. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. So you, ascent, I mean, tell me if I'm getting this right. You essentially started your career working with Ivan Reitman, right? Correct. What was that time period like? So basically right after I graduated college, I went to film school at Ohio University. Mm-hmm. Um, right after I had graduated there, um, I, I, when, when I was in college between like my junior and senior year, I assisted... Um, Ali Bell at Heyday Films, and Heyday does all the Harry Potter movies. Okay. So um, then I, you know, after my internship, my summer internship there, I went um, back to school, finished my thesis, and when I graduated, I was sort of planning on taking the summer off, as you do, and mm-hmm. then I was going to move to L.A., and then I got a call from Allie, like literally five days after I graduated. And she's like, are you still moving out here? Like, what's your plan? I said, oh, yeah. You know, and she's like, okay, great. Um, my assistant is leaving. Do you want the job? And I said, Whoa. oh, well, when does it start? She's like, it starts in a week. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and she had moved companies. And so she went, she was at Montecito Picture Company, okay, um, which is Ivan Reitman's company. She was his vice president there. And I was like, uh, all right. So I had to pack up my life (laughs) and buy a car and drive across the country, which literally took me three days and find a place to live and all that stuff very, very quickly. Um, and I started working for her and that would have been, what is that summer of 2007? Mm -hmm. I think that would have been. And then, so when I was there, I hadn't worked at an agency. I hadn't worked at a management company. I was thrust right into a production company. And a lot of times a path someone will take when they first come to LA is starting out in an agency or a management company to sort of learn who's who in the industry. And it's right. a pretty intense, you know, working at an agency is pretty intense. So, um, but it's a great crash course in the business, but I did not have that. So I went right, I skipped that step and went right to a production company and, she was so lovely, a wonderful person for me to learn from, a great mentor. Um, but, you know, she was so patient because I didn't know anything. I didn't know what variety was. I didn't know what CAA was. Right. I didn't know who, you know, <clears throat> the head of any agency was. It was pretty It was pretty intense because I went, I was learned production. I learned how to put film in a camera. Like, wow. <laughs> so I learned a, a very different <laughs> side of it um, than the, the sort of business side. Mm-hmm. Um, but I worked with her. I was with the company for... Uh, about a year and a half, and um, I got to 
you know, I, it was a very, very much a family environment. So I went to Ivan's daughter's wedding. I went to Super Bowl parties at his oh, wow. place. Like, it was really cool. And it's such, it was like so old school comedy, which is like what I grew up on. And it was so surreal to see like, you know, a statue of Slimer in his office. Oh, that's and, awesome. Yeah. And just the history there was so fucking cool. And, um, I was really, uh, it was a wonderful time. And also I was there when they were shooting this little movie called Postgrad. Hmm. Um, and that the cast of that movie, don't, I, you know, it didn't quite have a, a reach to it, but Michael Keaton was in it. So I got to hang on set with Michael Keaton. Oh, and nice. Bet, and Alexis Bledel. And, um, you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty cool. So, um, and that was my first time on a film set. Uh, real like Hollywood film set. And then after my time there, I had an opportunity to, after about a year and a half, I had an opportunity to interview to be Judd Apatow's assistant, mm -hmm. which of course I took that opportunity and, and <laughs> interviewed. And so then I, I got the job and that was sort of new school comedy. And I was, I worked for Judd as one of his four assistants from, um, that was like during get him to the Greek and mm -hmm. funny people and bridesmaids. And that, you know, I got to be on set for all three of those movies and, uh, which was a very surreal, <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, yeah. That was a very surreal part of my life. And, uh, yeah, God, just thinking about, I, it seems like forever ago, but also just getting to, not only are you hanging out with like, like, you know, the, the stars of those movies like Jonah and Adam Sandler and mm -hmm. the entire cast of Bridesmaids, but also, you know, incredible cinematographers like Janusz Kaminski and Bob Yeoman. Oh, wow. So that was cool for me. That's sort of how I was starstruck by right. working with those guys. And, but my heart was just always in horror. Like that's just mm -hmm. what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to do forever. So as far as I can remember. So I ended up quitting and I just said, and Judd's like, well, I don't know anything about those movies, but good luck. I'm sure you'll do great. Um, and I, and I had a friend reach out to me <clears throat> right after I had left and she said, Hey, um, there's this guy who's looking for an assistant cause his assistant's getting promoted. His name's Jason Blum. Like, would you be interested? Um, and I said, who's Jason Blum? <laughs> and I, I look him up and he basically his only credit at the time was like um like paranormal activity was oh, the only wow. thing so this was early in blum in the blumhouse oh, yeah. history oh yeah and i was like oh paranormal activity like that was cool i remember going to like standing in line at the arc light to see it mm -hmm. and everyone was talking about it and i would watch the trailer i watched the trailer so much before it came out that when i was in the theater i knew all the scares that were coming because oh, of how the trailer was cut yeah so <laughs> so i had just seen it so much because i was obsessed with it and so I ended up, I met with Jason and we sort of bonded over Hitchcock and things like that. And I basically told him, I'm like, I live and breathe this genre. Please hire me. Wow. And he did. <laughs> and I started in January of 2011. So April 2011 is when uh, Insidious came out. So everything changed from that moment mm -hmm. uh, for him, obviously. And right. uh, so basically I was there insidious and the purge and sinister and i i was i left probably uh it would have been right before whiplash went to the oscars so that would have been like december 2014 I wow think. so you were right there um, in the heyday of blumhouse oh, yeah. just whenever like during the inception of 
their business model and when their big franchises yep. were just developing. I must have been insane. Yeah, it was it was crazy because like we were in this teeny tiny office on the Paramount lot because obviously like they were doing all the all the other paranormal activity movies, and then we get into like a little bit of a bigger office, and then he buys this office in East LA, and uh, you know watching that sort of grow and the company grow, and it you know I was it was very cool to be in an environment like most of the employees when I was there were all women with the mm -hmm. exception of like one or two people, and people who love horror. And it was such a family environment, right? which was uh, great. And then when, you know, basically I told him I never wanted to be an executive. I said, I will be your assistant until I'm ready to go off and direct movies myself. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay. And, you know, after those four years were up, I said, okay, I think it's time <laughs> for me to take the leap. And he said, well, you should be directing. Because I hadn't really directed anything for since college. Mm -hmm. And so he said, he hooked me up with Crypt TV. He's like, you should be directing shorts for Crypt. Reached out to them. Oh, nice. They said, you know, we'd love to have her. And I just started directing shorts for them. And uh, sort of assembled my crew of people that I loved working with, that I had sort of met throughout the years. And, and that's sort of what started it all. But of course, like, you don't get paid anything to do short films. Right. <laughs> so I still had to assist other directors um, during that time, which is sort of how, I mean, I learned a ton from all the directors at Blumhouse. Like I got to be on set with James Wan and Lee Whannell and James DeMonico and, you know, mm -hmm. all those amazing people. <clears throat> and what I, you know, I realized I'm like, oh, I, I really haven't, been around any commercial directors so I assisted I got a job assisting Carl Eric Rinch when he did a couple um, car commercials which is an incredible experience oh, and cool. I ended up assisting David Strayton when he was prepping Blood Drive which aired on sci-fi so mm -hmm. I got TV experience and then um, a job came to my attention to assist Adam Robitel on Insidious The Last Key and I had actually met Adam before. And so I reached out to him like, hey, do you want an assistant for the movie? Because I knew he was, they, Blumhouse had told me that he was um, allowed to have, or the, the budget was there to have one. Okay. And he's like, yeah, of course, I'd love to have you. And so that was the best because I was shadowing him from prep to post. And um, I got to be on set every single day, you know, right next to him as he talked to the actors and the mm -hmm. DP. And, and that experience alone, sort of after I did that, I was like, okay, I'm ready. Like <laughs> nice feature is where I have my sight set, which I did from the, you know, from the beginning, but it's just everyone's journey to get to a fe the feature film place is different. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and meanwhile, when I left Blumhouse, they were looking for a creative executive or a director of development. And Jason's like, Chelsea, who should do this job? Do you know who, you know, the horror space who should do this? And I said, Ryan Turek from Shock to You Drop is like my number one choice. But I don't know if he'd leave Shock. But I asked Ryan, I'm like, would you ever want this job? Because Ryan had produced, obviously, he did the Scream documentary. Right. And so I was like, would you want to do that like for Blum? Because and Blum knew who he was because from Shock to You Drop interviews and things like that. And Ryan and I had been friends pretty much my whole time at Blumhouse. And he said, yeah, I actually would. And I told Jason, I was like, Ryan, you know him. He's a no-brainer. You have you, he, There's no one who knows the genre more than him. Right. And sure enough, they hired him. And right as I was leaving, Ryan started at Blumhouse. And, you know, 
I was talking to him all the time and sending him scripts. And then, um, you know, he's like, not quite what we're looking for. Keep sending them, though. And sure enough, after he read All That We Destroy, he said, this is the one we want to do. So that's awesome. That's sort of the journey to the first feature, which uh, has took me about, you know, 11 years or so to get to, 10 years. Mm -hmm. Very, <laughs> very cool. I mean, I'm sure you can write a book on everything that you learned at Blumhouse. But, uh, I mean, considering how closely you worked with Jason Blum, what were some of the, the kind of biggest career takeaways that you took from him? Um, oh, man, that's a great question. It was a really intense job <laughs> working for him. And I was lucky because I, I was able to grow with the company because I was there. Before, like people didn't even people didn't know who Jason like they didn't really Blumhouse wasn't a household name. Mm -hmm. So it was a it was so different from when I started to when I left. And it was very, you know, interesting the projects they were looking for, um, you know, sort of contained things that could be done on a low budget, also targeting specific cast. And, you know, I think that they were sort of strategic about the directors they want to wanted to work with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I felt like he was sort of, in a way, like taking chances on some folks because, like, um, Scott Derrickson had just done, was it Day the Earth Stood Still, that remake? Mm -hmm. um, but Jason was like, gave him the chance to do Sinister, because obviously that movie didn't do so great, um, <laughs> Day <laughs> the Earth Stood Still. So he was able to, um, I felt like he wanted to help give these directors, like, a hey, it's like, hey, do this sort of, in a way, quote unquote, low risk horror movie. Right. And because horror movies, like, they, almost always make their money back. Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty much a sure bet. Also, when you have like really smart scripts um, and a good cast and horror fans see everything. They can see the teeniest, tiny, like $30,000 movie and they will go see, you know, the huge like it chapter oh, one yeah. and two movies, you know? So it's like, it's very constant. It's the only genre that has its own real built in fan base. Like, yes, we have the Marvel movies, but horror has always been sort of consistent and constant and it's also the only genre that has like multiple um conventions like all over the country right like, yes we have comic-con but literally almost every state has a horror convention mm -hmm. that tons of people go to and the fans are so devoted and jason very much like wanted to be a part of that and respected that and also of course the freedom he gives to his filmmakers is uh i was just like this is kind of crazy to do and but also it was like very collaborative still like right you know there's always notes given and things like that and also he'd come from a theater background so that was always very like interesting to me and um he, his history is really fascinating too because his parents are come from the art world so like his dad gave jason gave excuse me his dad um irving blum gave andy warhol his first art show wow i didn't know so that like, yeah so jason comes from this big like like art family and so mm -hmm. and both my parents are artists so they were like sort of it was just a world i was really i was like oh i'm with you know working for someone who whose parents come from the art world like right. my parents do but loves the horror genre like I do. And so there were, he was just such a wonderful person to learn from. Also the, the business side of it, that's a whole other thing. So being a, being privy to not only how scripts are developed and how notes are given and 
um, how they interact with directors, but also, you know, I was privy to how the deals were made and, you know, communicating with the studios mm -hmm. and with legal and like all that stuff, which was so fascinating and honestly, like invaluable, like that getting the best of both worlds um, was really uh, incredible and a great takeaway. And of course, and then of course, he's working with people that I love and you know, admired, you know, as I was discovering the horror genre. So of course getting to, to meet all those people and hanging out with them and them knowing I loved horror and Jason very much respected my love of horror and was always asking me advice and movies to see. And so it was very like so sort cool. of collaborative. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you must have been absorbing everything like a sponge. I mean, there's not only obviously Blum at the helm of it all, but then you're working alongside people like Lee Wanell and James Wan and I, can only imagine what that time must have been like. That's so amazing. Yeah. And everyone was just like, was just so, um, wonderful and encouraging and, um, also making a point to just know everybody's name and mm -hmm. know all the crew members name and what everyone does. And like, you know, that stuff, I think people, and now I get to work with those people now, which is really cool. So <laughs> that's super cool. Yeah. I read, um, in another interview that you did, you'd said that it's hard for assistants to, to transition out of that role and get into directing. Were there any keys that, um, that really enabled you to be able to do that, that other people who are in similar positions who want to, who are in the industry in one way or another and want to be able to make that jump into directing should consider. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I honestly, there's a lot of like luck to it too, but I think um, I was particularly lucky because Blumhouse saw me as something other than an assistant. Mm -hmm. Like not all companies do, like I have friends that have been assistants to like pretty like horrible people <laughs> and uh, have, have been through some horrible stuff and um, a lot of uh, people look at their assistants as um, replaceable. So it's sort of like, okay, yeah, if this doesn't work out, we go on the next one. And I don't know if they are committed to like actually having a professional relationship with their assistant and right. learning about what they want to do. And actually you're putting in time for this person, but are they giving you anything in return? Mm -hmm. So like Jason knew what I wanted to do from the beginning, understood it. And, um, for them to take a chance on me too was like yes they had seen my short films but they knew I loved the genre and ultimately for them to say yes we do look at you as something other than an assistant we look at you as a director and we're going to let you direct your first movie like I don't even know how many companies actually do that for their assistants like right. what the if someone were to go back and say okay like let's let's look at these directors who was an assistant to someone and then that person ended up financing their first movie yeah like it's very rare <laughs> and I think like the most important thing one of the most important things for me is like kindness <laughs> right and, and like I said like knowing everyone's name um genuinely trying to help <laughs> everybody when they needed it like as the assistant you are the gatekeeper like you kind of have a position of power um they have to get through you to get to your boss oh so people must have been um, pitching you scripts left right and center <laughs> oh my god yes <laughs> all the time <laughs> Um, I actually still have people to this day asking me, can you send this script to Ryan or wow. will you get this to Blumhouse or can you, oh yeah, oh yeah, almost at least once a week someone reaches out and asks me that. Um, but, uh, you know, when, but when I was an assistant, it was like I had, they had to get through me and, um, but it, it's, it says a lot that they not only helped me make my first movie, but 
you know, when Fangoria, when Satanic Panic was coming around, I, I know Dallas, like, talked to Dallas Sanye, the producer, talked to Ryan Turek and was like, do you have any ideas on who should direct this? And oh, wow. I know Ryan, Ryan said Chelsea Stardust and showed them my movies, showed them all that we destroy so they could see I was, like, a competent, competent filmmaker. Um, you know, so I obviously owe a lot to them. Yeah. And, but it's, but I just hope that, I hope it gives other assistants out there hope that they too can, you know, that path is there for them and that hopefully they're working for someone that will support that. And if, and if that person can't, you know, get them their first film that they can suggest someone who can, Yeah. you know, it's funny how, um, all the people who were assistants when I was an assistant, we all, a lot of us stayed close. Now they're in positions of power at different production companies and studios and agencies. And I just love um, seeing that transition yeah, of assisting, serving someone else and then having it, having it turn around. So that's awesome. And that's such a wonderful kind of story of karma and how you brought in Ryan Turek. And then later down the line, when Dallas was talking to him, he mentioned your name and I mean, here everybody is. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, very, very lucky. <laughs> Cool. So want to talk about Satanic Panic, obviously. Super psyched about it. How was that overall experience of, of filming? Um, it was crazy. It was like a uh, really fast uh, production. You know, any movie you shoot, I feel like you don't have enough days and you don't have enough money. But the, you know, shooting on location in Dallas was really like the production value you get from that is so incredible. Like what we were able to achieve, mm -hmm. you, I don't think you could have done in Los Angeles. Um, and the crew I had, everyone, like my production design team was so fucking amazing. And everybody worked really hard. Wardrobe, they, oh, what they came up with, I obviously can't say too much about it, but what we came up with together with wardrobe and makeup and production design, we all kind of worked together on the overall look of the movie. Mm -hmm. And obviously my DP and I storyboarded and shot listed the whole movie and because uh, we only had 18 days to shoot it. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like our first day of shooting, we had four location moves. Like it was crazy. Um, but the movie looks fucking awesome. It's batshit crazy. It couldn't be more different than All That We Destroy. Like All That We Destroy is this, um, you know, uh, slow burn sci-fi thriller. Whereas yeah. Satanic Panic is absolutely bonkers horror comedy um, from the mind of Grady Hendrix and Ted Gagan and it's just so crazy and I just cannot wait there's just nothing really <laughs> like it you know because we were trying to think of you know you always want to say like I talk about all that we destroy and I say it's like psycho meets we need to talk about Kevin um, oh nice yeah whereas satanic panic I was like fuck I don't know what it this meets that I don't know if you say like Jennifer's body meets evil dead or you know something along those you're getting lines. me really excited about it <laughs> <laughs> um, and also it's great to work in practical effects, which obviously we did use practical effects for, for all that we destroy as well. But, um, that's always really fun to do. Oh, like yeah. that's the brand. And we just, we were creating things that you just have never seen before. Like there are things in this movie that you definitely haven't seen in America, American cinema. I know mm -hmm. Grady pulled some things from, um, uh, J horror and, and things like that. So, that's some of his inspirations, but there's just so there's so many amazing set pieces we have, and I'm just really excited to unleash that movie. Um, oh God, that's awesome! We'll start unleashing it in uh, at Overlook. Yep, 
and that's the like I'm so excited that that's where it's going to have its sort of world premiere because that yeah. sort of kicks off the genre fests this right. year. It feels right. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, it's definitely a, a crazy movie. There's nothing else like it, so I'm really excited. <laughs> that's <for> great. <laughs> what was the uh, collaborative process like with you and Grady Hendrix? Yeah, so I um, was a director for hire on that movie, so. Actually, a friend of mine had sent me the script in, what is this, 2019, at the end of 2017. She sent it to me. She's like, you should read this. I think you'd like it. And I saw that Grady's name was on it. And I love My Best Friend's Exorcism. I love Horror Store. I'm a huge fan of his work. Mm -hmm. And I read it and I said, fuck, this movie is insane. I can't wait to see it on the screen. I can't wait to see who makes it. (laughs) And then, of course, I I end up making it. (laughs) And, you know, I was... um, when the time came for me, you know, when I was pitching my vision for the movie, I did have notes on the script and I wasn't sure if they were even going to do any notes on the script. And they said, yes, we were just waiting for a director. And so when I first talked to Grady, I was actually very nervous because I was such a fan, like paperbacks from hell. And, 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 um, cause I was like, fuck, what if, what if he's like, no to all my notes and like, doesn't <laughs> want to do any of these, things. Right. but he was such a delight and I absolutely love and adore him and would love to work with him again and was so collaborative and wanted to hear all my thoughts. And, you know, I was, I got to meet him. Um, he came to, to Texas right before we started shooting and I had dinner with him and told him my vision for the movie and what I wanted to do and how honored I was to be able to sort of bring his, his script to life. Um, so that process was awesome. Like working with him uh, was fantastic like he wasn't able to be on set because i think he was in the middle of the we sold our souls tour mm-hmm. um so i had to basically go through the whole script with him beforehand and sort of i talk through this is something i do with all my with all my films but i talk through the script with the writer and we talk about every scene every line i want to know the the intentions the meaning that the writer has mm-hmm. so then i can so now i know okay that's their vision now I'm going to bring my vision to it. So when I go to the actors, I can go through the scene knowing every all the intentions for the writers, for the writer, my intentions, and load the load that onto the to the actors ahead of time. Yeah. And then when we're on set, we're just literally they know they already know what I want out of the scene, and it's just making small adjustments here and there because mm-hmm. we just don't have time to talk through the scenes on set. Right. And we don't really have the luxury of rehearsals, so. It's basically a meeting to break down the script, talk through all the scenes. Here's, you know, what's on the surface. Here's what's on the deeper level. And I also did the same process for All That We Destroy. But on that film, the writers were actually on set. Um, and they were the only people I let the talent talk to besides myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of, like, notes and things like that, which I love having the writers on set. I love collaborating with them. Because um, I also want to make sure that they feel like I'm doing their vision justice as well. Right my interpretation of it but i want them to feel comfortable and secure with my vision so um because it all starts with the script Mm -hmm. it's the most important part of the movie so (laughs) yeah definitely um, but uh yeah anyways very long-winded answer to grady was wonderful (laughs) that's really really cool yeah i mean that's interesting that you do you go page by page with the writers just so you get in complete lockstep with what they were thinking what everything means and then you can bring that to the actors and then just everybody is completely simpatico with everybody else. That's got to yeah. be really helpful. 
Yeah, and I think, and I know the actors sort of appreciated it too. And then, and then it gives them time to sort of think about their character and knowing what I want, but then I still want them to bring something to it. Um, and then, you know, one day I'll have the luxury of like really working it out on a larger scale. But for right now, this process is working, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah, cool. So horror comedies tend to be a challenge. Was um, what was your approach to balancing both tones? Uh, yeah, horror. I, I was I was a little intimidated by that because it either works or it doesn't, and the ones that work are like, you know, huge fan favorites like yeah. <clears throat> Evil Dead Two and Drag Me to Hell and and Army of Darkness. And now when it one, strikes, like, it strikes hard. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And this movie, it's it's there's so many. It's also about these this sort of relationship between these two girls as well. So it's like there's a lot throughout it and and I'm a huge fan of Jennifer's body and that's sort of what I used I was like okay that movie has a has is funny but it's also um incredibly dark and there's a lot going on beneath the surface and um obviously like Evil Dead and Drag Me to Hell I'm a huge fan of as well yeah that was I was, fun those are sort of yeah those are sort of all my inspirations for it and um but the tone of it is again, like no other horror comedy. And it's like, I don't know if it's a horror comedy or comedy horror, like which one comes first, but Grady's writing set the tone. Like mm -hmm. his, you know, his dialogue, his, and of course what the actors do um, with the script is I think the reason it's, or so I've heard, <laughs> successfully walks the line nice. um, with the tone, which, which I was intimidated by, but at the same time, um, I trusted my actors and knew that they would be able to deliver that, that tone for me, which they totally did. Cool. Um, so definitely want to jump into all that we destroy. That was a lot, a lot of fun. I mean, it wasn't so fun. It was definitely, you know, sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was, uh, it was, it was really, really enjoyable. How, um, what was that overall process like? I mean, I'm, I'm definitely becoming a fan of the Into the Dark series and the fact that uh, Blumhouse is putting out these kind of feature-length, semi-episodic movies that, I mean, obviously, I'm sure the big comparison a lot of people draw is Black Mirror, but um, but they're a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they all kind of exist in their own worlds and like that. What was that overall process like? And what kind of guidelines did they give you? Did it all have... Because I originally remember hearing that they were all going to be um, thematically around holidays, but were there yes. any other, yeah, what was the overall process like? What were some of the guidelines and, and, and how did you kind of arrive at that story? So mine, uh, mine was a little bit different. My, my process versus, um, the other directors for Into the Dark, because, um, all that we destroy while we were shooting it, like pretty much just after we shot it, I think the, I'm trying to remember the like timeline, but the TV department I don't know if it's they saw a cut of it or they, I think no, they read the script. They read the script and they're like, that's right when Into the Dark was getting started. And they said, we want this for Mother's Day. And um, so they actually acquired it. I so see. the TV, yeah, so the T, so it was actually like, they saw it and they were just like so excited. And of course, we didn't even have a distribution plan for it mm -hmm. or anything like that yet. We were like literally just shooting a movie. And so right when we were wrapped, they're like, you know, into the dark wants this for Hulu. And I was like, um, yes. 
because <laughs> the amount of eyes that that that, that series gets is, is millions millions of people see those yeah so um i was like yes i'd love for that to be the home mother's day is perfect because obviously at the core of this film is what a mother will do for her child which you know is is cujo and poltergeist and exorcist like those mm-hmm. movies that the mother's story is what's the most interesting to me about that. Right. And, um, and I was like, yeah, and I love doing something dark for mother's day. I'm so into that. And <laughs> so, um, so what happened was since we had already, since we shot the movie, um, Blumhouse TV was very involved in like our editorial process and the feature side also chimed in. Cause it was sort of like, because I think because I was, you know, from Blumhouse, everyone wanted to be involved and support the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, just going back back and forth on, on notes, on the edits, and really um, sort of like mother made the monster kind of thing and showing, because her name is Victoria Harris, which is Victor Frankenstein. And so um, oh. really playing into that. And it's sort of like, it's interesting to see people react on social media, media like who is the true villain? Is it right. her? It's Spencer. Like I love seeing people talk about that. And I also wanted to do something that was, nature versus nurture and something that always fascinated me with like sort of talking about serial killers on a larger scale it's like is that something that they're born with like is it in their dna or is there something as they're growing up that could have changed how they turned out like Mm -hmm. is there something that someone could have done i think like jeffrey dahmer is a perfect example i think you know if if maybe something could have been different in his childhood or teenage years that could have changed that outcome um and then you put a sci-fi spin on that and you have serial killers who can actually practice on clones and just purge just by using kind of disposable humans that was fascinating it becomes a form of therapy in a super fucked up way like is there a world where these people can be rehabilitated if you have an outlet for this anger and this rage that you feel or this fetish or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. um, whatever you want to call it. And so that totally fascinated me because it's, yes, she's trying to make him better, but just doing it in a totally fucked up way. Yeah. And you know, this is sort of like a spoiler for anyone who (laughs) hasn't seen it. Um, but when she's that moment when Victoria is talking to Ashley after she shows her the pet graves, Mm -hmm. she's talking about that they wanted to survive. She's actually like, in a way, arming Ashley with the tools that she needs to survive. So she's mm. sort of teaching her, yes, they wanted to live. Every breath is precious. So she's teaching Ashley to fight, which she knows will be more satisfying for her son when he kills her. Oh, that's twisted. Yeah, yeah. So there's like <laughs> all those things layered into it. And also, yeah, and also like huge spoiler, but at the end when he's coming out of the goo... Is mm-hmm. it the son? Will she get the son she always wanted, or will he be a killer all over again? Like, right. is it in the DNA? Like, is it? So that's what we're sort of trying to like comment on um, with nature versus nurture. Like, will and or or was she like, you know, priming Ashley to kill her son so she could try start over again? Like, you you know, there's like yeah. I I want it to be a con- conversational sort of thing and. Yes, Black Mirror is a huge inspiration. I would kill to direct a Black Mirror episode, so this is my Black Mirror. Cool. <laughs> awesome. A um, couple last questions. One thing I definitely want to touch on, though, is Slash the Musical. That oh, yeah. looked awesome. Where, is that still around? How can people see that? Is there video um, of it anywhere? Or is it still so, touring anywhere? 
so so yeah so slash the musical was um sort of a a love child of sean keller's who wrote all that we destroy for okay. me um and he wrote that musical um did all the lyrics did all the music composed the whole thing wrote the script he did all of it and it was my first time directing theater and i did it for the fringe festival in was that 2017 i think it was okay. here in la and we did you know nine shows sold out everyone it's a it's a marriage between friday the 13th and wet hot american summer and um sean cunningham came to see it and was totally totally loved it loved our our friday the 13th oh, wow. homages yeah so that was really cool and uh it was it was really hard because i'd never directed theater before and you don't really have the control <laughs> with theater as a director as yeah. you do with film because the actors have the control. They want to go out there and change lines. You, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no take two. So it taught me a lot of like letting go. <laughs> right. And, uh, and to see, so, so you can download the, uh, the album from Slash the Musical on Bandcamp. Oh, cool. It's free. It's free to download it or donate whatever you want to it, but it is free. And then we are talking about, um, we, we did secretly record it. So we are talking about maybe putting it out online potentially this year. Oh, nice. But it's literally just recording of the actors like on the stage. It's a very like simple video. But right. so many, it's funny, so many people have been asking for it. So we may just, just do it. So no, it sounds see it. super it was, cool. There's not a lot of horror musicals anymore. I mean, there was, I think there was a short run of Evil Dead the musical. There was uh, obviously Sweeney Todd, and they just did Beetlejuice the musical, which is fucking awesome. But uh, yeah, well, yeah. there's no, um, there's no, there's not really any original horror musicals because obviously there's like tons of ones that are based off of movies. Mm -hmm. But this was like completely original, all original songs. But it's such a love letter to the genre, and um, it was, uh, you know, we were talking about. It, it was. It's only thirty minutes long. It was very short because Fringe. It's like you have fifteen minutes to load in, fifteen minutes to load out. Then there's a show after you. It's a whole thing. Oh wow! But there's talks of us expanding it and bringing it back to the stage at some point when schedules allow. Bringing the cast back because people have been asking, so there has been a demand for it. So that would we're, be we're cool. talking about. We're looking at theaters in LA and seeing if we can do a you know another run for with it. Um, but but. We'll see, but I'm so glad you enjoy it. You know, you knew, know about it and have seeked it out. And, yeah. And, uh, I mean, I'll see if I can get it online at some point to show people because okay, a lot cool. of people have been asking. Yeah, I'd love <laughs> to see it. Um, so, I mean, at Crypt TV, you did a number of shorts, and uh, I mean, different directors have different theories about shorts. And were was it helpful from a career perspective to have done shorts, either from a creative perspective or just overall um, career perspective? Yeah, you know, um, shorts are really tough because there's just no money in shorts, really. Like, uh, people can pour thousands of dollars. If you have $25,000 and you make a short film, you should literally just make a feature. Like, right. that, that, can, that you can sell and make your money back. Because short films, it's just, you might as well just set your pile of money on fire. But <laughs> for me, and I obviously, like, didn't finance any of my shorts. Um, I, I was like... I, I don't want to do that. I want someone to uh, give me a budget for the short films and give me money to make them. And I lucked out with Crypt. Crypt's the only company that's like really doing that, especially in the horror genre. No one is paying people, giving people a budget. Like now, there's two thousand dollars, five thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. The budgets aren't huge, but um, for you know a five minute short, 
I'm so glad I did those because also I had nothing to, I mean, my college movies are really fucking weird and I had nothing <laughs> to like really show people of, yes, what my skill level was when I was in college in, you know, 2006 or whatever versus what is my skill level now. Right. So, so much time had passed between the two. I was like, well, I need to, sh I need to show people that I can do it right now this year. So then I just started doing a bunch of them for Crypt and some of them, I was director for hire. Some of them, I had the scripts that I sent them to sent to them for their consideration that we ended up doing. So, um, like under the bed and slave Purview were projects they had. And then I brought Marco Polo and project hope, um, mm -hmm. to the table. And it was, they were such great exercises and I really dialed in my crew and I used almost all the crew on those shorts on all that we destroy. And I used my DP or on all the, yeah, on all that we destroy. And I used my DP for all the shorts and for all that we destroy and for satanic panic, who I also went to college with. So I've known him for like 15 years of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think if like the, the fact that crypt gives filmmakers that opportunity is a huge deal because millions of people see those short films and then you have, then you start to build your reel and right. your, your short films are getting out there. Cause a lot of times I think people will make a short film and then never release it or never, you know, put it online or it's like, if you make something, show it to people, get it out there. And obviously yeah. like send them to film festivals because that could get you a feature or could be a proof of concept for a feature. And I, and I do think they are important, but I think it's also if you can get people to invest in them so you don't have to put your own money into it and go into debt. Um, That's the name of the game. Is Yeah, exactly. And just the exposure you get. And then you can start building your website. People can see your style. And then they have something to talk about when you go into a meeting. And you just... Um, I do think they're really important if you're able to pull it off in sort of the best way for you. Yeah. So having gone to film school in retrospect, is that a recommended move for aspiring filmmakers? Oh, man, this is a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, um, for me personally, there are things that I learned in film school that were so, so important. Um for me as a filmmaker and mm -hmm. I think a lot of film schools miss the mark in terms of teaching you quote, quote unquote how to make it in the industry like how to go start out and how to sort of get your career off the ground I I found like again mine was production based I was focused in directing mm -hmm. and so it's like yes I was learning to shoot on film and learning how to light and edit on you know, reel to reel and on Avid and, and having those skills were, are so important. Um, and just film theory in general is really important, but is it a must? I don't think so, but I, if someone's like, would you go to film school again? You know, knowing where you are now? Absolutely. I would totally go through the same track again. Right. Um, because the film school is that they took me to the film festival that got me my internship you know, like mm -hmm. they were so supportive. Um, and also I went to a teeny tiny film school. So it's like my, my graduating class in the film program were 11 people. So I had a lot of like hands on, um, it was very hands on the whole program was so not everyone's that lucky. I don't think some of these film programs that are huge, but I just think there's like a lot that film schools still have yet to teach their students. Like right. again, like, telling them about teaching them about 
the major agencies, how to get an agent, um, how, like, why reading the trades is so important, knowing who's the head of studios, know, like, knowing what IMDb is, right. like, you know, researching and um, knowing how to be an assistant, knowing how to answer a phone, knowing how to be a production <laughs> assistant. Like, there's so many things I don't think they... It's like, okay, we're going to teach you how to be a writer and a producer and a director and maybe right. a DP and maybe an editor. But they don't tell you about being a gaffer. You know, they don't always tell you that or a colorist or, you know, DIT or whatever it is mm-hmm. um, that there it's like, you know, there are so many other opportunities out there. And um, and I have a lot of friends that they just felt sort of abandoned by their film school once they graduated. They're like, OK, good luck. Right. Like, well, well what, what do I do now? Like, how do I get that internship? Like. You know, how do I get into a writer's room? How do I become a director's assistant if mm-hmm. I wanted to be a director? So I think it's still, and that's why you have alumni <laughs> and you reach <laughs> out to alumni and ask them to help you. Cause I think the networking of film school is very important. Yeah. I think that's probably the most important thing. That's um, what I hear from a lot of people is networking with other creators. And also it's how you tend to meet crew members. And, but Apparently, I mean, from what I'm hearing from a lot of people, the overall film school curriculum is just kind of up for renewal in a big way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I would totally agree with that. But again, everyone's path is different. Some right. people could go to school for honestly getting a minor in business is brilliant because then when you get contracts, you're like, okay, I can kind of figure this out or, yeah. you know, learning to manage your money and all that stuff. So I think, you know, if you have a film major, maybe minor in business. <laughs> no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, last few quick questions. Um, when it comes to filmmaking and writing and directing, there's obviously a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of books, there's a lot of courses, a lot of which are created by people who haven't actually done it. So the whole, that entire market is just basically loaded with bullshit. But that being said, yeah, (laughs) were there any resources or books that were particularly helpful or formidable for you on your overall career path? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I did well as like a, you know, lover of horror. Of course, I read like Shock Value mm-hmm. and the horror of it all. And in college, I read you know Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, and like you know those sort of filmmaking books. There's I've read books on directing, and um, but honestly, I think like for I think Stephen King's on writing and yeah. his. Dance Macabre, like both of those books, um, I think are fantastic. And especially for, for, for writers and for myself, like, um, I love reading Stephen King in general, but I also find director commentaries as a, if you want to direct watching director commentaries is one of the greatest tools and watching behind the scenes footage on DV, like I'm a hard media person. So I have tons of Blu-rays and DVDs. Oh yeah, me too. I'm running out of space. (laughs) But yeah, same. Um, but those tools, like that didn't exist when I was like, DVDs were, were you know, I VH, I'm, I still have a VHS player, but, um, you know, that all those bonus fe- features were just starting to, to come out as I was in college. And, and those tools are amazing. Like what we have now when you get Blu-rays and, and especially when you get those like Shout Factory and Scream Factory ones that have commentaries yeah. and all this behind the scenes footage, that in itself is an education. Um, totally. Also like Hitchcock Truffaut was one of the ones I loved, um, as a big Hitchcock fan. Oh, the book or the, uh, I think they did. It it was a book, but it was also like a three, it was like a three parter documentary kind of series. Yeah. Documentary is great. Great as well. But the book I is what 
I had read first. And, um, but also I think it's really important to be, um, reading as much in, as much as you can, like mm-hmm. as in reading Stephen King and Grady Hendrix and, um, sort of not letting that part of your brain die as you get consumed in your everyday life. I think right. it's incredibly important. Also like listening to music and I consume so many movies and TV shows and there's a lot of stuff out there, Yeah, but, um, and it's sort of, you know, a lot of people use the AFI top 100 list as, you know, sort of a stepping stone to the cinema to watch. But honestly, that mm-hmm. list is a little outdated at this mm-hmm. point. So um, it's basically like, luckily having things like Netflix and Hulu and Shudder, like Shudder's a fucking great resource. Love Shudder. Yeah, but I, th- I say it's like, I try to consume as much as possible because you never know where you're going to get inspiration from, like watching Twilight Zone. Like the ideas you can get just from watching that show. Yeah. Um, is, uh, and, and experiences, like I'm the daughter of artists. I grew up in art galleries and I find, you know, um, inspire, I'm inspired by fine art as well as, you know, media and film and um, things like that. So I just believe in always consuming. <laughs> mm-hmm. So just being exposed to multiple different types of art so you can just absorb it all and digest it. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's the kind of genesis yeah. for creativity. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So what is next for you? Um, a hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's that's actually, uh, I'd, I'd like to think that, but um, I actually have to do a huge, uh, not a lot. Some have been announced, but we're doing a huge festival run for Satanic Panic. So um, cool. I'm going to be doing that, traveling quite a bit. Obviously, Overlook is where it all kicks off. So uh-huh. um, that, and then honestly, I'm trying to like, I haven't had a moment to breathe since like late summer of 2017. So I would love to, I'm just honestly like reading books and watching, catching up on TV shows and movies. And I feel very behind Nice, um, <laughs> because I was in post on, <laughs> two movies at once and it was insane. So, and then traveling and then I do have some other things in the works. Um, but I can't talk about them too much. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so we'll see, we'll see what's next. Honestly, my top priority is now that destroy is out for satanic panic to get out into the world and, um, uh, see what, what comes after that. So I'm open to all the things in the horror genre. So very cool. I, I can't wait to see what's next. So, awesome, yeah. Chelsea. This was a lot of fun. Any uh, any parting wisdom for aspiring filmmakers? Um, I would. This industry is so fucking hard, and I think, like a lot of people, I think when I was in when I first was out in LA, I would go home because I'm from the Midwest, and everyone's like, "Oh, how's your entourage life?" And I was like, <laughs> "My life is nothing like entourage. That is a." Misconception. Um, you know, I would say if, if this is what you want to do, if you want to direct or write or produce with every inch of your being, then don't give up. Just keep trying keep working towards it. Um, and honestly, my biggest piece of advice is stems from Pat Oswalt, which is it's chaos. Be kind hmm. because there are a lot of people in this industry that are not kind and, scream and yell and honestly i've gotten where i am because of kindness yeah and it is so chaotic out there that i think uh it's better to get something with kindness than with than being a terror and screaming and yelling Mm -hmm. um so uh that and persistence 
Like I just refused. I never gave myself another option. I never gave myself a backup plan. I refused to give up. And it literally, I was the poorest I've ever been in my life before I got, um, all the way destroy and satanic panic. Like literally, you know, I had done the unemployment thing, the food stamps thing, all that stuff. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm gonna have to go, go back home, which is fine. And sometimes that's what you have to do. But you know, the universe works in mysterious ways. So, mm-hmm. um, and will literally push you to the point where you do not know what is going to happen to you. <laughs> um, it's like, am I going to be on the street? Like what is going to happen? And, uh, uh, but I think with, with persistence, it, it'll, uh, it, it works itself out. So, wow. um, but yeah, it's chaos. Be kind. That's the number one thing. <laughs> All right. Amazing. Cool. Well, thank you so much. This was a whole bunch of fun. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Big thank you to Chelsea for taking the time. I had so much fun with this conversation. So here's always are some key insights from this conversation with Chelsea Stardust. Number one, work at a company that will invest in you. Jason Blum knew that Chelsea wanted to be a director, so he did everything in his power to give her hands-on experience and was a mentor to her while she worked as his executive assistant. People like Jason Blum who care about their employees' career development to this degree are very rare in Hollywood, but they do exist. Try to find them and work for them in any way possible. Number two, talk through everything with the writers. Talk through every last word of the script with the writers so you can comprehend every element of nuance, story, and subtext. This will enable you to extend the script's deeper meaning to your actors, which makes for a much more cohesive movie. This is particularly important if you can't afford rehearsals. Number three, it's chaos, be kind. This Patton Oswalt quote is a credo that Chelsea stands behind when the going gets tough on set. Filmmaking is tough, and sets can be incredibly hectic. All of this causes many people to lose their temper. As a director, it's not only your job to keep it together, but to also be kind, respectful, and generally fair to all of those around you in the process. Doing so will enable you to be a positive outlier in an industry full of screamers and assholes. People want to work with people they like and respect. So the kind example that you set can only help your career. Chelsea, in fact, partially credits her career success to being consistently kind. Thanks again, guys. Do not forget to check out Satanic Panic. It comes out on September 6th, which is the same day that It Part 2 comes out. So why not plan to make that a double feature? Promise you'll have a great time at the movies. Anyway, guys, thanks again, and uh, I'll see you next time.